Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. All right, we missed an episode for the first time ever in the brief history of this show. Last week, I had told you we were going to have an episode on psychology, but unfortunately, the guest I had in mind had to cancel again. We're on for January, so I'm hoping that happens. He's had good reasons both times, and I'm still really interested in having him on. And this is the kind of thing where any guest that I pick is going to be somewhat unique. So I didn't just want any guest on psychology. I wanted this particular person. So I think it'll be worth uh, the wait. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. But that's one reason why there wasn't a podcast last week. And then I ended up getting involved in a whole bunch of things during Thanksgiving. And I didn't have a good show, so I decided not to do one. But in general, I want to do one of these every week, even when uh, sometimes I'll just update you on some small developments. But it's just really important to me to keep this exploration of human flourishing going. And in particular, continuing to explore the core idea of this show, which is finding better knowledge systems which means finding better processes for us to acquire knowledge and to explain knowledge and to apply knowledge. And it's something I'm thinking about all the time and that even when I'm working on specific topics like in energy, which is where I spend most of my time, I'm always thinking about what can I learn about better processes for getting new knowledge for me and then what can I figure out in terms of helping other people get accurate knowledge, always keeping in mind that the internet is just this ocean of non-knowledge and it can be so hard to know what's right and what isn't, and yet our lives depend and our happiness depends on, on getting good knowledge about things. So this episode, I just want to give you an update on a few things. So there are a couple of topics I'll cover, but I'll cover them in, in pretty quick order. And the, the main thing I just want to let you know is what I've been up to, where we are in the show, etc. I mentioned last time that I was working on a secret project, and I can now tell you, now I have two secret projects I can tell you about one of them. And part of the reason I, I mentioned that is just because I had started on the nutrition topic, and it's something I intend to look at occasionally over time, but I haven't had much time to work on it lately. And I mentioned it's because a lot of my mental energy was occupied by this secret project. And the secret project has been or is, it's a new radically updated version of my book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which came out in, the original came out in November of 2014. And the origin of the new version, which I, ha I had no intention of writing for a long time, is actually very related to this show. And what was happening was, on this show, I'm really focused on how do we get real knowledge? How do we distinguish real knowledge from non-knowledge? And I started, I had thought, oh, I did that pretty well in energy. But then the more I thought about these problems and issues like on issues like nutrition and psychology and things where I, I don't have expertise at all, I, I started to think, wow, there's a lot more that I can do and certainly that others can do to improve our knowledge acquisition systems and our explanation systems for issues related to energy and environmental issues. And one thing I, I feel like I didn't do enough of 
in the first version of my book was give people a framework for thinking about energy issues and environmental issues and really any technological issue. How do we make the right decision about any technology? Because fossil fuel energy, that's just one technology. But there are there are all kinds of issues pertaining to technology. How do we use AI or not use AI in the right way? How do we use something like Facebook in the right way? And I think I have a good combination of ideas about what are standards we can use to evaluate things, and particularly the idea that we should always, whether we're thinking about Facebook or AI or anything else, we should always be thinking about how do we advance human flourishing. That's that's the standard we should use. So I think I have a lot to say about that, but also a lot to say about what we can call standards of validation. How do we distinguish truth from falsehood? And I became really interested in okay, how can I help people do this more in the field that I'm expert in? And then also, how can I use what I've started to learn with Human Flourishing Project? How can I use that to examine some of these topics again? So I myself have started to examine again certain things like, what is the state of different alternative forms of energy? And what are the real economics there? And it can be really hard to get to the bottom of that. And it's been really, really fun to improve my own knowledge acquisition systems and to get more refined answers there. And certainly on the climate issue, even more so, it's been really valuable to re-examine that issue with better knowledge acquisition systems. So I won't tell you exactly where my conclusions are going, but certainly I think the my, my fundamental conclusions haven't changed much, but I think the methodology of the book is really, really valuable. And I think that as readers of the book will find it even if you like the old one, you'll find it five times more valuable because it'll really focus on giving you the tools to think about a complex technological issue and then to explain your thoughts to others. So once I, once I saw that so much of the work of the Human Flourishing Project could be applied to my work in energy, it made me very motivated to start working on doing more innovative work on energy. So you might ask, what does that mean for this show? Well, one thing is that in the next several weeks, I intend to do at least an episode on my current framework for evaluating technological issues and talk about how I have it worked out now. I think it's much, much cleaner, makes a lot more sense, is easier to apply. So I think that'll be valuable. That's, um, that's one thing. Uh, definite, I'm, I'm finishing it up in mid-February, so maybe end of January. So my my mind will be very, very occupied with it. So it's, it's definitely going to eat into my time to think about other topics. But I think I, I will still be figuring out lots and lots of valuable stuff for the theme of this, um, this podcast and the broader human flourishing project. Another thing I wanted to share with you today, or a couple things, is I want to share with you just some of my latest thinking on human flourishing that's come up in the context of my life. And in particular, a lot of it has come up in the context of working on a book. And I thought I'd just share some uh, thoughts and progress I've made on issues I've been thinking about a long time. And one of the issues I've been thinking about a long time that I've mentioned a little bit is a struggle for me sometimes is the issue of focus. And by focus, I mean deciding what I want to spend my 
very limited time on. And so many people of the uh, so many of the people that I admire are really really good at focus. Maybe the person who's most eloquent about this is Steve Jobs. There's also there's also a really good interview of Johnny Ives. Ives or Ive? Ive. Uh, the great Apple designer who talks about how much Steve Jobs told him taught him about focus. And he talks about how the key to focus is saying no to things that you think are really, really great ideas. And until you until you're doing that, you're not really focusing. I remember Ive talks about when Steve Jobs would ask, what are you saying no to, or something to that effect, Ive would say something that he didn't really want to do, and, and Steve Jobs wouldn't tolerate that. He'd say, no, you have to talk about things that you would really want to do, but you're not doing them because there's, there's something you want to do even more. And you might ask, why is this so important to have focus? And I think one thing is it recognizes just the finite and precious nature of life because we just have such limited time and there are so many potential things we could do with our time. And I think what often happens is we decide to do several things with our time and we don't really think about, okay, there are actually a million other things we could do that maybe we should think about those, but also within this several that each one of those mostly comes at the expense of the other. And that's a hard thing to think about. And what I've found myself doing over the years sometimes is thinking, well, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. I want to do all of these different things. And yeah, they kind of fit together somehow. But really, I feel like, yeah, I can do all these things. Why not? And of course, you can. I can do whatever I want. But it's almost certainly true that among the things I'm doing, one or two of them are way more important than the rest. Or one one element of what I'm doing is the most important. And then everything I'm not spending on that is coming, you know, that's coming at the expense of focusing on the good thing. And to give you an example of this from the history of Steve Jobs, I was listening to one of his interviews in 1995. He has two really, really good interviews from 1995. One is on YouTube. One is on Netflix. I think the one on Netflix is called Steve Jobs, The Lost Interview. The one on YouTube is something like Steve Jobs 1995 interview. And I've listened to them many, many times because I learn stuff every time. And I feel like it's really, really valuable to learn from people who are amazing doers and have very good understandings of things, but don't don't write books. So often the, the way to learn about things is not reading the person who's written the most famous book. It, it might be listening to interviews from the person who's the best doer, or at least that's that, that I think is really, really valuable. Anyway, he was talking about what made Apple possible, and he told a story, which is he's told some other places too, about what are called blue boxes. And this was a uh, phenomenon that he and Steve Wozniak worked on, and essentially they were these um, devices that allowed you to hack into the telephone system. And this was at the time where long distance calling was incredibly expensive. And you could, there was a way to figure out how to get into the telephone system and make long distance calls for free. And they even at one point called the Pope and almost got through to the Pope. And when he was telling this story, what really, he, he talked about how what he learned from that is that a couple of people 
could figure out a way to have leverage over this massive thing, which is the international phone system. So that was one aspect of it was that it was leverage. But then something he didn't say explicitly, but I noticed when I was listening to it was how it was that these two guys focused, or how they managed to do this, because not that many people made blue boxes work and they, they made it work really well. And as he was describing it, I could see for a certain amount of time, they decided, okay, this is a really high leverage thing that we want to figure out. And then all they did was figure that out. That's that's all they did. So they, and then each of them was choosing to work with a very powerful person. So you can see all kinds of different focus. They're, they're choosing a goal that's incredibly high leverage, and then they're working with high horsepower people, and then they're spending all of their time on it. And then you see the result is, I don't know, in a few weeks or months, they have this amazing contraption and they can, in a significant way, control billions of dollars of infrastructure. But it's because they focused. They focused in general and they focused on the right thing. And then looking at the rest of Jobs' career, you can see this over and over and over in terms of just, okay, just focusing on the Macintosh. Or with the iPhone, I find it very instructive because they were working on what later became the iPad. And then there was the idea to do an iPhone and he said, okay, let's put this iPad on the shelf. And I don't think most people would do that. They'd say, oh, look, I've got this big company. We've got a lot of money. Let's do both of them at the same time, right? But his view was, no, this is going to be to do this one thing that matters the most right now, this phone, that needs to be done to the best possible level. And that's going to take our best people. And we just need to focus on that. And then later we can focus on the later thing. And this is a billionaire who has all of these resources and still he's saying, okay, this, this one thing. And just listening to so many examples like this and people I admire just always talking about focus and I was just finding myself, I'm just split in a, in a lot of different directions and it's, it's frustrating, but it just, it still seemed like, yeah, I kind of need to do all these, these different things. And this connects to the book because when I got the opportunity to work on the book again, I found a couple of things. One is that I was really enjoying it. I was enjoying it more than just about anything else I was doing. This, this show is up there uh, too. But I was, I was really enjoying it. And I realized, well, it's because I feel like I'm really, by doing this, I'm making progress in terms of my broader mission in life, which has a lot to do with the Human Flourishing Project. And I'm focusing my mind in the way that I'm doing stuff that I think I'm really good at. And I feel like I'm, I'm everything I'm doing, it's, it's like money in the bank of my life achievement. I feel like this is really, really good. Whereas other things I do, I feel like, okay, that was valuable and I got paid for it, but I'm not super happy that I did it. And once I started spending an hour or two a day on this, I would notice, oh, wow, other things that I don't feel as strongly about, those are really coming at the expense of this. Whereas when I was working on a bunch of things on a level where none of them was really what I wanted to do 100%, and it seemed like, oh, I could do all of them. But when, when there was one thing that was clearly amazingly important and could benefit from any amount of time I could give it, it was a totally different ballgame. And then I started seeing other things and asking, okay, do I really need to do this? And 
what this brought into focus, no pun intended, really, is the the idea from economics of opportunity cost. And let me just, just going to take my iPhone and read the definition from the Oxford American Dictionary, the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. So again, the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. And when I'm working on the book, I very viscerally perceive, oh, wow, working on other things means not working on this. To a certain extent, I, I might only be able to put in four hours a day or five hours a day because it's very intense work. And, but it's just notable looking at these, these trade-offs. And, and I think that is a profoundly important state for us to have in life is to just really realize, okay, what is the value of the things that we could be doing? And if we find ourselves thinking, oh, I got to do five things and they all feel like on the same level, well, maybe one of them is more important or maybe there's something more important that we're not doing. But I just, I found it incredibly clarifying to have one thing that I found was very high leverage and very good use of my abilities and that I enjoyed. And then everything else I do and have been doing, it's valuable. So this is the trap, I think. Now, you might be doing things you don't think are valuable, but it's not just enough to say, oh, this is valuable. It's really, is this optimal? Am I really using my precious time in an optimal way? And, and again, having an example of an optimal use is very, very powerful. And certain things, what I noticed then with certain activities, like certain parts of the business, I was working on those, but and they, it was creating value, but it wasn't creating as much value as working on the book and then either not doing something or delegating something to somebody else. So I found this just... Uh, profoundly clarifying and it's the reason I'm bringing it up because I think it might be useful for all of you to just think about are there examples of things when you work on them where you feel like oh yeah this is what I really want to be doing and then use that as a sort of standard to measure opportunity cost and get a sense of oh well what if what if I could do more on this what if I could double down triple down quadruple down on this one thing that I'm really good at and that is really productive, maybe there's just a huge amount of opportunity that I haven't been thinking about. So focus and focus is so much comes from recognizing opportunity cost. And the, the contrast is just when everything feels like opportunity and everything feels doable. That is not a realistic perspective on life because the way life works is that there's very limited time. There's unlimited potential things to do. And those things are a very, very different value, uh, very, very different leverage. So I'm really interested in any, any thoughts you have on that and any, any clarity that brings to you on the issue of focus. And, and maybe a question to think about is just what is the, what do I feel like is the most valuable thing I could, I do that if I focused on it, if I doubled my focus on it, would be transformative in my life. One, to connect this idea of focus and recognizing opportunity cost to another episode, I think it was one of the relaxed productivity episodes, I talked about calendar comprehensiveness, and I also talked about um, separating your thinking about what to do 
versus you're thinking about how to do it. And the issue of focus has helped clarify that even further because the, the more split my focus is, the harder it is to think about what to do and the longer it ends up taking because there are just all these different things going on. And even in that episode, I noted, hey, I'm doing all kinds of things right now and this probably isn't the best, but I feel like I need to do it. And now my calendar comprehensiveness is still there, but it's much simpler. I'm just working on a couple of projects and even I have two big projects. The other secret one I can't mention right now, but even with those, I mean, both of those are you know, one of them is going to end in February. So I, I can potentially do both, but it's really powerful to me now that while I have two basic projects I'm working on and there, I just feel that tension. I just feel that, Oh wow, there is this trade-off and, and that's not optimal and, and so I'm choosing to do both, but I'm, I'm recognizing the tension, whereas before I might be doing six things and I wouldn't really uh, recognize the tension. But what I do notice is even with the two, because I'm so clear on them, so much less of my time is spent on planning and thinking and prioritizing because really it's just I already did most of that thinking by coming up with the focus and then I can do mostly how thinking. And an, an archetypical example of this that I've heard, I haven't heard this directly, uh, but I heard it from someone else who's generally pretty accurate about Michael Phelps, how his to-do list is wake up, get in pool. That's, that's his whole list. And I, I think of that as, okay, that's a, that's a model. So I, my own version is something like wake up, get in outline. And it's just amazing how much, how powerful that is. And when we focus, it, it, and, and when we really get clear on that in a way that we're persuaded of this is the thing I want to be working on now for, let's say, the next six months or the next year, and this is how it relates to what I want to achieve longer term in my life. I'll talk more, and I have a, a friend who has a really good framework for thinking about this, by the way, so I'll, I'll try to bring home, him on in a future episode. But in general, the more we can think about what we want to do now in the foreseeable future and connect that to our long-term goals and be be totally persuaded of that, the less there's this daily and weekly friction of, oh, I have no idea what to do because I picked six things and they don't really, there's no real priority to them. So that, that's one other big benefit of focus. So welcome on the, I welcome on the Facebook page any thoughts you have about focus, but I thought I would share that with you because this is something that has been a a big struggle for me over the last year and finally feel like I've, I've cracked it. And, and the biggest thing for me has just been having that example of the power of focus that then serves as a standard by which I can then measure opportunity cost. So my, my recommendation and request is what is something that you're doing that you think is the most valuable thing you're doing that if you doubled your focus on, it could transform your life. So Please share your answers on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash human flourishing project. Uh, besides that, don't have anything else this week. Not sure what I'm going to cover next week. The psychologist we're talking to is in January. Really looking forward to that. If you have any questions or comments, or as I say on my other podcast, love mail or hate mail, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. Also, any topic requests. But in one of the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about framework, uh, my current framework for evaluating technological issues, which also I think applies to just about every other issue in life. That's something I'm excited about. And I think that that can be 
really valuable. All right, that is it for this week. Thanks for listening. I will speak to you next week. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project.